I want to pray for Ukraine right now, so if we could uh, bow our heads and hearts right now. Father, uh, as the sun is setting in Ukraine, I'm asking, Lord, that you would be protecting innocent lives. You agree with me, you guys, on that? I would ask that these young inscripted men from Russia, many of whom didn't even know what they were getting into, I pray that you would do something biblical in proportions, divine intervention, supernatural. We thank you for courage. I think of a 40-year-old woman I saw interviewed who's just went from working in an office one day to grabbing an automatic weapon the next to defend babies. God, what a crazy world we live in. But in the middle of it all, there are thousands of young people in Ukraine falling on their knees in revival and awakening. We thank you that you are on the move no matter how things appear. And oh God, right now we do believe that you hear our prayers. We don't pray in a weak manner. We pray in boldness. We've seen you move in our lives. If we look around and we take an honest assessment, we've seen your power when there was nothing that we could do. There's nothing our God cannot do. And so, Lord, right now, we just grab up all these precious people around Ukraine and even these innocent young men who got conscripted into an insane thing that some of them probably want out but fear for their own life. Help them. God, help them. And as we pray, we thank you that your spirit goes to work. Strengthen the brothers and sisters of ours in Ukraine right now. As the sun goes down and the sirens go off, I just pray that your spirit would be on the move. Angel armies. Angel armies. In the middle of the night, visit Russian warriors with appearances of yourself. Encourage little babies that are in little bomb shelters that have just been born in the midst of this chaos. Thank you, Lord. There's nothing our God can't do. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. For 2022, we've made a commitment here that we're going to celebrate life change stories every week. Give Christina a hand. Come on up here, young lady. Come on. I'll help you get up here. Come on. Put me on the spot. <laughs> I, I, I put you on the spot in a big way. Can you? Yes. No, I'm not going to make so you hold on to it. I can't even hold it. It's okay. okay. Um, God's done a work in your life, hasn't he? Yes. Tell us about time. it. Tell us what so, do you want us to know. I grew up in a Catholic home, never religious, just um, going to Sunday Mass sometimes. Um, and then up to 21, I, well, I was going to be 21, I started to question, like, what's the purpose of life? You know, yeah. why am I here? Yeah why were we created why you know just simple things like 
because I really desire to get married, like at that time, um, even now, but it's not as like bad as before. But um, I was just questioning and I'm like, is there more to life than this? Like, what is the purpose? So I kept being um, questioning and questioning to a point where I'm like, oh my gosh, like my life is not going how I mm. wish it was going. Like I wanted to already be married, having kids. I guess that was, that's like a Mexican thing. I grew up, you know, in a Mexican household, very Mexican. And yeah. Um, How'd I, that feel? It hurt. Yeah, it was lonely for sure. Because yeah. I was like, no one understands. <laughs> but um, then I ended up um, getting into this small depression. I um, wanted to end my life. I'm like, there is just no point. I'm like, why? Mm. You know, everyone has their life how they want it, but not me. <laughs> like, yeah. why me? Um, so I went through this period of time where I started to question, like, if God was real. If he, if he is real, then I want to know who he is. And just it ended, little by little, I, I ended up, God started to draw me more to himself throughout that year. Um, yeah, I was thinking too, like, okay, how am I going to end my life? But the Lord just protected me from even going that Down deep. That path. Yeah. Um, God used my little brother to, he's not a Christian, but he has a lot more, no, he had more knowledge about the Lord than I did at that time. And it really helped me and calmed me. And I'm like, okay, Lord, like, I don't know. I, it was just crazy. Then um, later on in 2012, when I turned, tw I was already 21, um, God used Twitter and K-Love Radio to, wow. to reveal more Who of him. Was. Yeah. And I, one night I was just like, he's real. Like, yeah, he he's just real. revealed himself to me. <laughs> and I just broke down crying. I was in, on my knees on my bed, and I'm like, Lord, I, I believe. That's so cool, Christina. Yeah. I'm like, I, I believe, I know you're real. And it was just, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but ever since that, I really felt like I know that he changed my, my heart and my, my mind, too. Like, I, I'm like, he's real, and, and I repent. I there's nothing that I could do. You know what? What you're expressing is real faith. Yeah. And there's a lot of people in this world that maybe even some in this room that can't connect with that. But that's maybe because they haven't connected with the real Jesus. But it's real for you. And it, I want to tell you something. I'm going to ask one more question here in a second. But I need to just stop and tell you. You radiate so much the power of Jesus in your life. Thanks. It Thank is you. beautiful. <laughs> it you. really is. Thank you. We're big into talking about what God is doing right now. What's he doing in your life, Christina? What's he showing you? Um, other than more of himself, like mm. really um, getting out of my comfort zone to use my spiritual gifts. Like I feel like he's been um, prompting me. I don't that's know if that's a correct word to say. That's the right word <laughs> yeah, to say, to sister. Like, to do that and, you know, within the, the local church. Um, and also just growing in the Lord because I had a big time struggles with my own identity Yeah, I used to look to it in, in like guys I was a boy crazy girl still struggle with it from time to time but um, it's the boys that are crazy just be, be aware of that <laughs> yeah. and then um, 
just continuing honestly to just looking to the Lord and um, yeah he brought me from the suburbs to Chicago so I'm here and awesome. I know God has has um, has me here for his purposes yeah and I want to focus on that. he does I want to yeah. thank you so much um, Christina is amazing isn't she guys I mean this is an amazing girl and I I never want our times when we do testimonies to be the same as the others. And so I'm going to pray over you right now. And I want you guys to pray with me. And let's just go. Father, I just pray over Christina right now. I, she talked about boys, so I'm going to pray it over. I'm asking for an awesome boy to come along one day. And I'm asking that, I got my dad hat on right now, so I'm going to cry. Asking to not let her settle for less than the best. And that you would allow her to experience such blessings from you. Thank you for Christina. Thank you for the encouragement she is to this old pastor, just with the smile that she has and the way she loves people so well. In Jesus' name, amen. Give her a hand, okay? All right, good to have everyone here today. Grab your seat if you could. Give the worship team a hand. I said give the worship team a hand. It is wild in here. If you're online, you need to come join the party sometime, don't they, guys? Yeah. How many of you have daydreams? Come on. Give me a shout out if you have daydreams. If you say you don't, you're lying to me, because you all do. That's a fact. I have a reoccurring daydream lately. Here's my reoccurring daydream. And I'm serious about this. It's happened four or five times in the last four or five days. Slapping Vladimir Putin in the face. No, I'm serious. Now, now don't go crazy on this. Don't go crazy. Some of you are like, yes! That's what we need to do. Don't be doing that. It's my daydream. Don't make it yours too. <laughs> Never gotten so much applause from some of you. Yes, faster. <laughs> Slap Vladimir. Um, I have daydreams of slapping Putin and hurling insults at him. Like Napoleon complex, things like that. I really do. It irritates me to no end that he is doing what he's doing. Is this thing going dead on me? I'm preaching with the hand. We got it good? Here we go. My dreams of slapping Putin have to do with this high justice mentality that I have in me. I think righteous indignation is a good thing, but we always got to be careful with it, and that has nothing to do with the message that I'm going to give today, except that we... As children of God, know some things that are right, know some things that are wrong. All you got to be is an image bearer made in the image of God. You know some stuff is wrong and some stuff is right. And I look at Putin and I'm wondering what's going on. I'm, I'm so encouraged with the fact that some of his uh, banking opportunities look like they're going to subside and there's some oligarchs that are seeing, seeming to be not palling around with him anymore and some celebrities and some of the greatest entertainers in Russia are 
going on social media and taking issue with them. And Facebook itself has demonetized his ability to propagandize the world. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's so much happening. I don't know what the end of this war is going to be. Sun is setting right now in Ukraine, but we need to pray that God would work. Putin drives me nuts, man. It's guys like Putin that drive me just crazy. I got such a high justice bone in me that when I heard the UK prime minister say, if you want to go fight, go ahead and go fight. I'm thinking, you know, I'm feeling pretty good right now. I'm 61, but I'm still pretty fast. I know how to shoot a gun, straight arrow. You start thinking crazy stuff when you start thinking high justice. But I want you to know something. I want you to be encouraged by what the scriptures say. What a person truly is will be fully known and fully dealt with in time. In Romans 14, it won't be up on the screen, it's a quote from Isaiah 45, 23. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God, every one of us. But I want you to guard yourself from a natural human condition of scrutinizing others without being honest about yourself. And I just need to go on a little riff about this for a moment because I was talking with my bride about this very thing on the way here this morning. And let me just imagine I'm riding with you today and we're just driving down the Kennedy and we're just talking about life. Can I appeal to you to do yourself a favor? And that is never stop living a self-examined life. A lot of times, because we want to flee false condemnation that Satan heaps on us, we run too far and we run so far away that we're now running to a point where we never really look at ourselves. And that's a dangerous place to live. Let me tell you what a, a pastor and his wife talk about from time to time because we're in the people business. One of the most heartbreaking things for me is to see so many people who are some of them very well educated, who stop allowing God to search their soul, who cease to live a well-examined life. And sometimes I want to grab people and go, what are you doing to yourself? Quit living on this flat line where now you've got things pretty well managed in your life. Allow God to search you deeply. You never outgrow the need for it. The richest people I know on this planet live self-examined lives. Not self-condemned, but self-examined lives. Always asking, God, what do you want to change and do in me? Why? Because one day it'll all come to the surface anyway, so why not now? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know what Peter is telling us here? He's saying that although you go through trials and difficulties, it's okay for a little while because that's going to allow you to live under self-scrutiny that will let you see if you're building with, as we find Paul saying in 1 Corinthians, just a house with wood, hay, and stubble that when you get to the end of time, it's all going to be torched. Come on! 
Let's live a self-examined life. Let's live a life that says, God, search me, know me, try me, see if there'd be any hurtful way in me, and let me live in a way that honors you and lives everlasting. Guys, today in this third part of our series called Unshaken, we are going to be jumping into a chapter that teaches us how to walk through the fire in a powerful way. Now, I need you to be very careful because some of you that were raised in church could go to sleep on this one, and I'm not going to let you. Because this is a classic tale that's been told, but I'm telling you, there are some nuances to this text that are powerful. I know the typical outline for this message. If you're willing to stand up for Christ, he'll get you through anything. I know, and that's true, but there's something so much more here. It's a classic story with surprising application when we stop to look at what is really going on. And I want us to see ourselves, and this is going to be interesting to say, but I mean it. I want us to see ourselves as possibly any character in this story, including King Nebuchadnezzar. And you might be saying, well, Carl, but I'm not King Nebuchadnezzar. That guy had huge amounts of power. That guy, I mean, he was just filled with debauchery. He oversaw a kingdom that was just like crazy. I and mean, there's archaeological digs about the ancient city of Babylon that reveals, whoo, these guys were sexualized big time, and they were fortune tellers, and they were reading stars, and they were doing palm reading before it was at a little cheesy shop out in Schomburg. It was crazy. But I need you to see yourself as potentially any character. And this isn't here, but I'm going to give it to you right now. I need you to read the Bible with eyes that never, ever see yourself beyond any character in Scripture. Because although we're born again, we can become derailed disciples. And there's a lesson to be learned in all of these, and that's what we're going to see today. Daniel chapter 3, if you got a Bible, grab it. If you've got one on your tablet, grab it. On your iPhone, grab it. Your Android, I know it's a little harder to find there. I'm just messing with you, but go ahead and grab it. Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 30. I think we've got five slides that are going to show up on the screen. I'm going to make comments along the way. This is a classic passage of Scripture. Daniel 3. Verses 1 through 30. We're going to read the whole chunk. I'll commentate along the way. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. Let me give you the actual footage. So we got 90 feet tall by 9 feet wide. Now, if you put this in actual proportions, this would have looked really odd and different. So there's many believe that there was probably almost like a pedestal. Have you seen trophies that you get for an award and there's this wooden pedestal and then the guys on top well there's probably a sense in which there was a pedestal and then this guy's on top but to make it proportional this is at least 60 feet of gold statue let me be really clear here this is not solid gold it is probably wood covered in gold but it is covered in gold and this is what you need to know i had a great conversation this week again with uh, Michael Ray Delnick, who wrote the commentary for the Moody Bible Commentary on the book of Daniel, so he's well-schooled in it. 
And I said, Michael, what, what do you think that this image of gold is the downstream impact of Daniel interpreting the dream that we find in Daniel 2 that the image that he saw, the head was gold, and that was his kingdom. And he goes, Carl, I think that's exactly what's going on here. So Nebuchadnezzar hears from Daniel, chapter 2, you've got the gold head, and this is your kingdom. And this vision that he had gave him the big head, and he decided, whoa, if I'm a head of gold, how about we make an idol that is all gold. This guy was so full of himself, it's hard to imagine. Which, by the way, I'm going to tip my hand. Next week, you're going to find out the craziest of crazy despots can be radically tra transformed by God. Nebuchadnezzar was. But right now, I mean, he's crazy on steroids, guys. It won't take me this long to get through all these verses, I promise. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 90 feet and breadth 9. He set it up on the plain of Dura. No one knows exactly where the plain of Dura is. We've got an idea, but we don't know for sure. All we know is that it was probably a place away from Babylon, not in the city, for the purpose of making all the wise men go out and bow down so that they had to go a little distance from the city and everyone bowed down and people were checking out who wasn't bowing down. The story goes on. It's in the province of Babylon. Verse 2. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps. Now, this is interesting because here we have a Persian name borrowing going on. And later on, we've got some Greek name borrowing. So, Daniel is, reveals he's in a metroplex big time. This is a hustling, bustling city with a lot of different people. I'm going to get going here, guys. Satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province, provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigion, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that the King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Something you need to know. Very important. There was a king around 1750 B.C. His name was Hammurabi. He was in Babylon. This is important. This burning in a furnace has its traces all the way back to King Hammurabi in 1750 when he wrote down the code. You know how many laws were in the code of Hammurabi? 282. Some of them are hysterical. One of them, let me just give you some funny ones because I won't give you all 282 this morning. I'll give you a couple funny ones and then a couple serious ones that relate to this fiery furnace. If you were a veterinarian in Babylon 
and you healed someone's animal that came to you, they were to pay you a sixth of its worth. But if they brought you an animal and that animal died on your watch as a veterinarian, you had to pay that guy a quarter of its worth. So you had to be good. If it was a 50-50 coin flip, whether animals died in your care or not, you were losing money every week. Amazing stuff. But there were two other laws. One law was law 110. Law 110 is if a woman goes into a tavern, she's to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Ladies, you couldn't drink, even on ladies' night. No drinking, ladies. No tavern dwelling. Actually, the 157th law is another fiery furnace thing that has to do with how you treat people. So there's two direct references in the Code of Hammurabi. This isn't new. It's not some weird one-off deal. This is serious biz. If you got sideways with the kings and the leaders of Babylon, you were thrown in a fiery furnace. Now, what did this furnace look like? We'll get into that in a moment. Where are we at here? And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Verse 7, Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trajan, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages, fell down and worshipped the golden image that the king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Why? Because you don't argue with the king. Can I say this, and I need us to be very careful? When we broad brush, even these conscripted boys from Russia that are out there serving, it might be easy to say, well, stand up to this crazy man. You don't go in there and fight. Guys, when you got families back at home that are at harm's way, and who knows what's going to happen to your wife and children, it's easier said than done when we're sitting here fat and happy in America. Just for free. Therefore, at that time, verse 8, Certain Chaldeans, Chaldeans was the name of a people group and also the name of a select group of soothsayers. They could read the stars, baby, or so they thought. They came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. Anti-Semitism has been around for a long time. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. They're suck-ups, aren't they? You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, trajan, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship that shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the Babylonian names. These men, O oh king, O oh king, I'm going to dramatize it because they certainly were. They pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Let me just tell you right now, they are not concerned about who's being holy and who's not. They just are jealous of these guys that were just recently appointed to high position. So it goes on, verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, so he's giving them another shot. He's saying, strike up the band. Get the bagpipes playing. These boys must not have heard straight. Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trajan, the tarp, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace who is the God and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Oh, he asked a question that a lot of people wonder about you for your faith today. Who's really going to help you? The God of Daniel 3 is alive today. I don't care what you are up against. He can move and will empower. He will. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, oh, this is powerful. This is amazing stuff. These are young men. you got to remember now, even given the fact the longest chronology might put this event 10 years max from chapter 2. Max. These guys are strong. And you ready for this? They're about Christina's age. Max age right there. They're young. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Whoa. Whoa. Faith on the line. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, the expression on his face was changed. A quick note here, many great geopolitical commentators, some Condoleezza Rice who have met Putin, say that he has radically changed. There is a darkness that fills craziness, guys. The expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually heated. Now, be careful here. This is an idiom. It doesn't mean a literal seven times. Some commentators believe it could have gotten to 1,800 degrees. It was used for smelting gold, bringing purities out. But 1,800 degrees is hot. Let me just tell you, my first job as a box boy at Carr's Grocery Store was to haul out groceries for little old ladies and to burn boxes in the incinerator some of you are so young you don't know that in the back of grocery stores once upon a time were these huge tube looking things that had huge smokestacks and they were incinerators I got one so hot one day that I opened it up and I love to get that incinerator so hot that I'd look in that little window that we could look through that faint glass and see the fires just boiling in there huge i got it so hot one day i opened up the door stood back but it still singed my hair singed my eyebrows off it was just crazy yeah that's box boy at 15 years old in anchorage alaska that's when men grew up early all right verse 20 
And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Let me just explain this right now. When he cast them, he threw them down. So this is what you need to know. I don't know, the pictures that we often see in like Sunday school classes or things don't quite capture this. But they probably walked up a bit of an incline or a hill and they went up to the top and that heat would have been boiling over the top as you're going to see here in a moment. And they would have truly been thrown into a fiery pit. Now, there might have been something blocking it, but it would have been visible at some level because we're going to see this in a moment. There would have been a, a way for someone to look inside to see how the flames were doing and the things that had been put in there, were they consumed? So imagine these guys walking up this hill, and they got guys with them, and they're bound with all their goods, everything they own, they got on them. And boom, they shove them into 1,800 degrees of fire. Verse 21, then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, and their hats, and their garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent, the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire of those who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three Men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. But these others were killed. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, quote, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, Ah, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire. Now we either have a garden variety angel of God or we've got a pre-incarnate Jesus in here, but we've got a move of God in a fiery furnace. Walking in the midst of the fire they were, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Oh my goodness, this king is freaking out. Now he can go one way or the other. Watch what happens. Verse 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. He's realizing now, this is some serious kind of magic going on, people. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. Can you imagine this? This is better than anything Hollywood could ever do. They come walking out, and don't you know, they came walking out, out not, not proud, but so confident in God. He just came out going, I imagine they were looking at each other going, God did it. He did it. Verse 27, and the satraps, and the prefix, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of those men. The hair on their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Do you hear this, king? He's saying, props to you guys. You survived the fire and you didn't listen to me. There's a point behind this that if every one of us lived out, we'd have better families, better love relationships, better working relationships, and I'll give it to you in a minute. Verse 29, therefore I will make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Here he goes, threatening limb from limb all over again. I will kill you and your house. Because that's what he said. And their houses laid in ruins. Who? For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Somebody give me a yes. I need a yes. Yes. Verse 30. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Well, I told you I was going to hit something unusual here today, and I'm going to do it. And I need your utmost attention because it's going to apply to everyone in, these room, in this room. I've got four points, and if you're at home or whether you're on another continent, I need you to listen closely and don't think this is for the other guy. As I was preparing for this message, something dawned on me. The classic approach to this is to go how to become a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how to live above the fray, how to have that kind of courage. And those are all true points, but there's got to be more to this than there is. There is, because here's the potential downside, guys. In this room are fire walkers, because God's going to want you to walk through fires. But in this room, from time to time, are fire starters. And you create fires that you force others, knowingly or unknowingly, to walk through. And I know this is tough to hear, but I need you to hear me. On our weakest days, when we're not abiding in Christ and we're not filled with the Spirit, there's a little King Nebuchadnezzar in all of us. That's what we've got to own here. When we hear that all Scripture is inspired by God, the best thing I could do, a self-examined life, is for me as a leader especially to look at King Nebuchadnezzar and go, is there any of the smell of that smoke on me? Honest to God. Best thing I can do. I had a friend last week called me after a message, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, who had the humility enough to say, I was listening to this message, I wasn't in town, but I listened to it, and oh my goodness, God smoked me about something. That's what we need to do. And so today, although I titled the message, Through the Fire, I've got lessons for fire starters and Fire walkers. I've got four of them. Here's the first. Pride produces unreasonable demands and terror. Don't be a little Nebuchadnezzar. I mean this. Pride always produces high-level demands and a little bit of terror. Don't be a Nebuchadnezzar. You might say, well, Carl, how does this relate to me? It relates to parents don't provoke your children to wrath, Ephesians 6, 4. What's that mean? It means that provocation 
is one of the most deadly things you can do. You know what provocation is for a parent? It is a parent putting themselves in a prideful position that embitters children towards sometimes God. And we can't do that. I have some playground regrets in my life. You know what some of my playground regrets are? I was a pretty athletic kid. I had my own insecurities because I had a monster overbite. I could stick an apple on my face and run around for miles and it would never fall off. But to compensate for my massive overbite and my hair that even used to be brighter red, that was a really wingdinger combo. I had, uh, I, I was athletic and I, and I got, I was either captain or got picked first all the time. But I have some regrets from my childhood. I have regrets from playground. Because we, in our own insecurity, set standards that terrorize kids. Yep. We did. They call it bullying nowadays. By the way, I don't think with all the bullying talk, it's gotten better. I've talked to some moms about what's going on in schools. I think it's actually worse than when we went out and duked it out and punched each other in the face. But don't quote me on that one. It's getting off in the weeds right there, Carl. I, I got to tell you, though, guys, we have, we have to come to grips with this. I think it was an awesome moment for me. I was probably born again three years when it dawned on me. Some of the unspoken rules that we had on playgrounds terrorized the souls of little kids that didn't have the athletic prowess or didn't feel like they fit in. And then I found myself as a pastor early on in my life trying to minister healing to some of those kids that I, and frankly, I wasn't brutal to them. I was one of the kinder leaders. I tried to somehow accommodate them, but I never said, stop. We're not using these names. We're not doing this. We're not doing that. I felt it in my heart. I would do little sidebar conversations. I remember this one kid, Dwayne. He was one of the least athletic kids in the world. And I, I remember one time him, his countenance just fell because he never got selected. And I, I went up to him after a game one day and he hadn't gotten selected, so now he's the referee. And I put my arm around him. I said, Dwayne, man, I want you to know I think you're an awesome guy. And, and he told me with tears in his eyes, thanks, Carl. Didn't go far, man. And Dwayne had a uh, hereditary disease. He died when he was 18. This is very practical. This is practical in the mission field. One of the saddest things I ever heard was going to South Africa and having a woman come and tell my bride and I, it was actually a man and a woman that came and, and said that they were coming to talk with us, but they were, they were terrified over even coming to talk to us because of a certain spiritual leader that said either you're under his teaching or not under teaching at all. And, and they were shaking. Their hands were physically shaking and we're like, what in the world's going on? This is, this is some pastor that's put some standard up here, a demand that's so high that it's terrorizing souls. God forbid we do this to each other. There's a little Nebuchadnezzar in all of us. Little Neb husbands put unspoken and spoken requests on their wives up here and it, it doesn't comfort a soul, it terrorizes a soul. 
Little neb wives put standards up here for their men. They are written in the Word of God. It's unspoken rules, but boy, he darn well knows what those hoops are. He's got to jump through. It terrorizes the soul. Little nebs are neighbors, and they aren't just letting their light shine brightly. They're, they're, they're putting out a facade that says, you better keep up with the Joneses, and if you don't cut your grass the way I do, it just brings terror into a neighbor's soul. Bosses, business owners. I don't want to beat, I'm not trying to beat anyone up here. I'm just telling you, isn't it amazing how relevant all the characters of Scripture can be to us today? Come on. Come on. I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to beat anyone up. I'm with you here. So lessons for fire starters and fire walkers. I've only got three more left. Pinch yourself. We'll get through this. Secondly, righteous stands are powerful and transform culture. Reserve resistance for the big stuff for crying out loud. Don't shoot all your bullets on minor issues. Don't do it. There's big things in our culture today. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. Those are their Hebrew names. These guys were living in a culture that was filled with demon worship and orgies and fortune tellers, and everything about Babylon flew in the face of their upbringing and the scriptures. But do you see any hint of them walking around going, uh, you know, the culture's falling apart here, and this is the way it needs to be. Now, hold on a second. I'm not saying you never say anything in our culture today. Yes, we speak up, but we do it in the right way. We don't go scorched earth on things. Why? Because we got to quit expecting people who have never met the power of Jesus to act like they have. We can't. So do we go vote? Yeah, we vote. Do we vote the scriptures? You better believe it. Have I got a litmus list of uh, things that are disqualifiers for certain politicians? You better pick and well believe I do. Am I going to tell you? Nope. <laughs> you got to read the Bible yourself. But do we, do we hold, hold, hold almost like a brave heart scene? Hold. Hold, hold, then pull it up right when it's most important. Yes. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Hazariah, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego never took a hard stand until the stuff got so big that it encroached on their ability for their soul to live free. I need you to hear me. The litmus test and the watermark is when your soul can no longer live free. Then you go to a no, whole new level of escalation. But until then, chill out a little bit. Go champion things. Talk about issues of human sexuality and why it's so important and how it's better for our society. And um, 
The nuclear family is awesome. I don't know why some organizations want to blow the thing up when the stats are out. You blow up the nuclear family, you blow up children. I mean, I, I got the stats. But we don't lose our ever-loving minds until they tell us that we're going to have to compromise something that rips our soul out and throws it on the ground. The church needs to pray for national morality, vote according to the scriptures, but focus on living radiantly. Living in such a way that they will see our good deeds, Matthew 5, 16, and glorify our Father who is in heaven. I, I need to really tell you something here now. Some of you might be wondering, well, Carl, how do I know what to believe? I will never, if you ask me, Maybe for my top couple sometime on a sidebar discussion, I'll tell you what they are. Kind of non-starters for me. But I got to tell you, this is one of the beauties of, of faith is that when you start drawing this is our list, you're off the rails right now. Because situations and cultures and backgrounds and context means everything. Two more. Lessons for fire starters and fire walkers. Maturity hopes for deliverance, but is content with death. Ask God for this kind of faith. Oh, guys, this is a hard one to talk about. But this is what the saints of old had to do. Because spiritual maturity is always hoping... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were hoping we aren't going to go falling into that fire and get consumed. They weren't wanting that. That'd be weird. But what's really weird is that these young men, your age, Christina, they were content with death. That's what they said. You know what? If God delivers us, great. But if he doesn't, okay. But we aren't going to compromise our faith. Woo! Man, these are men. One of the things I love about Zelensky, although he's an imperfect man, and I'm not trying to equate him with the icon of faith, I will say this. What you see in him today is true leadership and chivalry. Live or die, Zelensky has become a hero, and Putin can't stop that. More of a hero than Putin will ever be. I'm going to make a statement here, and I need you to hear me, and I need you to listen closely, and it won't be on the screen, but I need you to listen super closely. Because some of you wonder, Carl, Pastor Carl, how in the world can I be content in death? I need you to hear me right now. From these lives... This is the truth. The only way to be content in death is to live for something bigger than you in life. I need you to hear me. You can go to Bible college at Moody, get undergraduate, graduate, you can go get a PhD in theology, and you cannot have contentment with death because you still don't have anything bigger than you than you're living for. And the people that I've noticed that are most paralyzed with fear about end times is their life is as big as draw a circle around them. That's their pick in life. 
The greatest gift you can give to your soul is to get out of yourself. Honestly, give your life away. Fall on your knees today and say, God, would you give me a hunger for you? I've wondered this before. I've wondered, will I be able to take a bullet for Jesus? I'll tell you what, if I do, it's by his grace and grace alone. Why do some spiritual leaders cower when the guns come out? And why do some stand tall and go, take it? It's because some have been living a secret life that revolves around themselves while others have been living a big life that revolves around something greater than them. I'm begging you to make your life greater than you. Small men have been known for centuries. Hugo Chavez, you know, he died not too many years ago. What a... What a dictator. What a cruel man. And do you know what his final words were? You ready for this? Hang on. You ready for this? This is what his general said. Hugo Chavez said on his deathbed, he could not speak, and he said this, Please don't let me die. If I was him, I'd have been freaked out too. But it's only by God's grace that we don't have to live freaked out. I want you to have a faith that is content in death, not wanting it, not acting weird like, oh yeah, I'll take a bullet for Jesus. I would never say that. I tell my wife all the time, if I take a bullet for Jesus ever down the road, and I'm not predicting anything, if I ever do, It'll be by God's grace and his grace alone. And he'll give it to me. And the best thing I can do right now is to be prepared for that moment. To be prepared for that moment is to be attaching my heart to great commissions and to be a disciple of Jesus and to helping others become disciples of Jesus. When your life is this big, right there, when your life is that big, you are not going to be content in death. hope you don't feel beat up I'm just pouring my heart out to you here the greatest joy I could ever have would be to see a group of men and women here at 180 who grow so strong in our identity and who we are in Jesus and so live transcendently beyond the here and now that we're like you know what that's a hot furnace I don't know if we're going to make it. That'd be God, but if we don't, that's okay. Wow. Fourth thing, and then I'm going to let you up for air. Repentance is one of the most beautiful things to see. Always own it when you're wrong. Always. You know what makes Nebuchadnezzar beautiful? He looked at those boys walking out of the fire and he immediately said, No mas. 
probably didn't say no mas. He said, I'm done. Uh, the gods that we've had, get them out. <laughs> We're going after the one true and living God. The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Wow. This is amazing, guys. He had the courage. The king had the courage to admit that he's wrong. The most powerful moves I make and the most difficult moves I make are of the same kind, and it happens with those closest to me. It's hard for me sometimes to say to a jit, I was wrong about that. But man, there's freedom when you cross through that threshold. It's hard for me to say to my bride, and I've had too many times, I was wrong about that. But when I do, there's freedom on the other side. Some of you are enslaved to a diminished life, and you're living a puny life. And you know what would be awesome for you today would be to go to your kids or grandkids or employers or former friends and just go down the list and start making amends. Just burn up the phone. Hey, I was a jerk back in 1986. I am not kidding you. The greatest rock star men I've ever met in my life own their junk and their awesome husbands. Yep. I got to stop. But I want to pray. Bow your heads. Oh God, I'm praying right now in the name of Jesus that you will cause us to not be little Nebuchadnezzars in any way, in any way. Oh Father, don't let an ounce of pride set undue or unreasonable demands in hurt souls and bring terror to people. Father, I realize too that we need to reserve resistance for the big stuff. Give us the power to know even how to navigate this life. It's so hard sometimes, isn't it, guys? We're just talking to our Father together here. Isn't it hard sometimes, guys, to know how to navigate this life? So, Lord, we can all say together, it's, it's difficult. But give us wisdom to know when to speak up, who to vote for, how to have the courage to not get into tribal things and always be of the tribe of Jesus. Yeah. God, I pray over this group, this precious group of people here and those online. God, let us see that maturity hopes for deliverance but is content in death. God, I pray that we would have this kind of faith. And Father, repentance is one of the most beautiful things going, isn't it, Lord? Help it begin with me. Help me always own when I'm wrong. Oh, God, help us. In Jesus' name.